Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 12 of The Gift of Tongues. We'll be on pages 117 to 131. The title of the chapter is Interpretation of Tongues. We'll get into the reader portion of the program with no commentary first. That'll be 30 seven minutes long and then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program during the recorded portion of this program you can call in to the screening room and ask your questions or comments off the air at the end of the recorded portion of this program which will include the pre-recorded reader program as well as the reading and commentary portion of the program you can call in and uh, off the air and then after all of this uh, we'll be able to go live for live questions and comments on the radio program the guest call in number either way is 917-889- 8827 that's 917-889-8827 and fundamentally mormon goes live monday through thursday from 6 p.m to 8 p.m mountain standard time 5 p.m to 7 p.m pacific thank you for listening Interpretation of Tongues, Chapter 12 of Gift of Tongues, pages 117 to 131. We believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelation, visions, healing, interpretation of tongues, etc. Seventh article of faith, closely associated with, but distinctive from the gift of tongues, is the interpretation of tongues. This gift is essential when someone speaks an unknown tongue. Wherefore let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Be not so curious about tongues. Do not speak in tongues except there be an interpreter present. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith interpreting is the prime purpose for the speaking of the language. When someone cannot speak another person's tongue, either by the learning of that language or by the gift of tongues, it is possible for another to receive the gift of interpretation and thereby understand the alien language. 
One example of the gift of interpretation occurred when two Danes had just arrived in the Salt Lake Valley from Denmark. They attended a Mormon conference with another Dane who could speak both English and Danish. When President Young had finished speaking, the two Danes were overjoyed at hearing Brigham Young speak. However, they were curious about his manner of speaking and asked the third Dane, why was Brigham Young speaking the Danish language? The two Danes who could understand no English heard President Young speaking the Danish language. Therefore they had received the interpretation of tongues. In this illustration the gift of interpretation of tongues was given for a purpose. A spiritual message was conveyed through that gift for the benefit of the Danish men. Many holy roller, Pentecostal, and similar spirited meetings claim the gift of tongues and the power of the Holy Ghost. However, in these manifestations, the interpretation of tongues or the communication of some intelligence is seldom displayed. Ten or fifteen persons can be seen lying and rolling across the floor while in a state of babbling, gibbering, or mumbling some unintelligible and uninspiring sounds. This garbled display or demonstration is not even closely associated with any language, much less the Spirit of God. The Prophet Joseph instructed, One great evil is, that men are ignorant of the nature of spirits, their power, laws, government, intelligence, etc., and imagine that when there is anything like power, revelation, or vision manifested, that it must be of God. Hence the Methodists, Presbyterians, and others frequently possess a spirit that will cause them to lie down, and during its operation, animation is frequently entirely suspended. They consider it to be the power of God, and a glorious manifestation from God and Asha manifestation of what? Is there any intelligence communicated? Are the curtains of heaven withdrawn, or the purposes of God developed? Have they seen and conversed with an angel and dash or have the glories of futurity burst upon their view? No. But their body has been inanimate, the operation of their spirit is suspended, and all the intelligence that can be obtained from them when they arise, is a shout of, glory, or hallelujah, or some incoherent expression. But they have had, the power. The shaker will whirl around on his heel, impelled by a supernatural agency or spirit, and think that he is governed by the Spirit of God. And the jumper will jump and enter into all kinds of extravagances. A primitive Methodist will shout under the influence of what spirit until he will rend the heavens with his cries. While the Quakers, or friends, moved as they think, by the Spirit of God, will sit still and say nothing. Is God the author of all this? If not of all of it, which does he recognize? Surely, such a heterogeneous mass of confusion never can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith An excellent account of the gift of interpretation occurred in ancient Book of Mormon times. In this setting the people had suffered destruction of their cities and many people had been killed. 
the few remaining souls were in an attitude of prayer and humility. God heard their prayers and answered. And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice it did pierce them but did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that again they heard the voice, and they understood it not. And again the third time they did hear the voice, and did open their ears to hear it, and their eyes were towards the sound thereof. And they did look steadfastly towards heaven, from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard. And it said unto them, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name and hear him. Glorified my name and hear him. Nephi, the interpretation of tongues was the most important manifestation and blessing given on the day of Pentecost. Although there was some speaking in tongues, it was that interpretation of tongues that allowed the messages of the apostles to be understood by the nations and people who were there. While the ground sound as of a rushing mighty wind and the appearing of cloven tongues as of fire might indeed be a miraculous power to behold. They are not in and of themselves the means nor the methods used to convert souls to the gospel. Exhibitionism, signs, and miracles may persuade the unwary, but they only persuade men to a belief in the power and dash they do not convert the man. It is the words of truth, accompanied by the Holy Ghost, which change men's hearts and set the course of their souls. For this reason, all were filled with the Holy Ghost on that eventful day. That day of Pentecost is perhaps one of the most misunderstood and misconstrued biblical events in modern Christian thinking. It was not the miracles that day that were so important. It was not the miracles of the loaves and fish, nor the miraculous healings in the ministry of the Savior, which were the most important and dash it was the truths of the gospel which he taught. This is the labor and the desire of the ministry. The word and will of God holds no second place in God's dealings with man. On the day of Pentecost there were men from many nations assembled at Jerusalem. These were devout men out of every nation under heaven. There were Petinians, Meds, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Asians, and those from Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Syrian, Rome, Crates, Arabia, and other proselytes. The apostles were teaching the gospel and every man heard them speak in his own language. This is the gift of interpretation of tongues. So amazed were they that they said, Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Then again they remarked, 
we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Each apostle that arose to speak did not speak in fifteen or more languages and dash they spoke their own Galilean and all were filled with the Holy Ghost and received the gift of interpretation. Although many did speak in tongues, yet the masses all heard in their own tongue and while Peter was speaking to these many nations, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which hear the word and on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. This view was substantiated in an early church periodical, the Leahona, Gift of Tongues. In the question box in our issue of July the 6th appeared this query, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, did each man understand the one sermon in his own language, or did it require a separate sermon for each nationality? The answer was as follows. It required a sermon or part of a sermon in the tongue of each nation. Every man heard them speak in his own language. The multitude had not received that gift by the laying on of hands. Therefore it is very improbable that they could receive the interpretation of an unknown tongue. This answer was written by an elder to whom the question was referred and was passed by the editor without sufficient consideration. In a discourse delivered in Blackburn, England, September 2, 1906, President Joseph F. Smith made the following explanation of the wonderful occurrence that took place on the day of Pentecost. What is the gift of tongues for? Let me tell you when the gift of tongues was very profitable. It was on the day of Pentecost when the apostles of Christ stood up before the people who had assembled there from all the lands around about, talking a multitude of languages, and Peter stood up in the midst of them and declared Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead, the very Son of God, the Redeemer of the world. They all heard, everyone in his own tongue. God gave them the gift of understanding and they understood, every man in his own tongue. The apostles spoke in their own Hebrew tongue. They did not talk a multitude of languages, but the ears and understanding of the multitude were open and they heard the voice of the apostles and understood what they said. The gift of interpretation may be acquired by the spirit or by the natural method of learning a language. It is related that in one of the gatherings of the saints in Preston at this time, Alexander Nibor heard the gift of tongues exercised. He arose and interpreted the tongue, telling the congregation afterwards that he did not do this by the gift of the Spirit, but naturally, as the former speaker had used the Hebrew tongue, which was, of course, the language of his birth. Genesis many missionaries who have traversed the earth in search of the honest in heart, have been witnesses to the interpretation of tongues. On some occasions the missionary has received the gift, while in other instances the people have been blessed with that peculiar gift of the Spirit. Sometimes this gift is given to a missionary first to aid him in speaking the foreign language. Elder George Q. Cannon testified to this. My desire to learn to speak was very strong. It was present with me night and day, 
and I never permitted an opportunity of talking with the natives to pass without improving it. I also tried to exercise faith before the Lord to obtain the gift of talking and understanding the language. One evening, while sitting on the mats conversing with some neighbors who had dropped in, I felt an uncommonly great desire to understand what they said. All at once, I felt a peculiar sensation in my ears. I jumped to my feet, with my hands at the sides of my head, and exclaimed to Elders Bigler and Keeler, who sat at the table, that I believed I had received the gift of interpretation. And it was so. From that time forward I had but little, if any difficulty in understanding what the people said. I might not be able at once to separate every word which they spoke from every other word in the sentence, but I could tell the general meaning of the whole. This was a great aid to me in learning to speak the language, and I felt very thankful for this gift from the Lord. I mention this that my readers may know how willing God is to bestow gifts upon his children. If they should be called to go as missionaries to a foreign nation, whose language they do not understand, it is their privilege to exercise faith for the gifts of speaking and interpreting that language, and also for every other gift which they may need. I had become so accustomed to talking in the Sandwich Island language that it was hard for me to speak in my mother tongue. I well remember how difficult it was for me to pray in English, when called upon to do so, in the family circle, the evening after I got to Luina. I had been so anxious to learn the language that I would not read any book in English excepting the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and it even trained myself to think in that language. I did this so that I might be thoroughly familiar with it for I was anxious to preach the gospel in exceeding plainness unto the people. Of course it required an effort on my part to thus train myself, but I was paid for it all, in the fluency with which I used the language. I was able to speak and write it and with greater ease and correctness than my mother tongue. Interpretation of tongues occurred with the conversion of Carl G. Mesa. As a spiritual and intellectual man, it was the gift of interpretation which was the needed manifestation and witness for him, by which he knew that God had restored the gospel again upon the earth. This is a more detailed account than that mentioned in a previous chapter of this publication. Holy men and holy women have spoken with other tongues as the Spirit has given them utterance. One of our articles of faith reads, We believe in the gift of tongues, and in the interpretation thereof. Carl G. Mieser and than whom no more devoted Latter-day Saint ever lived and Dash told me with his own lips of such an incident as I took a trip with him to Baker City. He said, Brother Grant, the night that I was baptized I looked up into heaven and said, Oh, God, I have found, as I believe, the gospel of thy son Jesus Christ. I have rendered obedience to it by going down into the waters of baptism. Give me a manifestation, give to me an absolute witness of the spirit that I have found the truth, and I pledge to if necessary my life for the advancement of this cause. 
At that time, Brother Franklin D. Richards was president of the European Mission, with headquarters at Liverpool. He went over to Germany to be present at the baptism of the first converts to the gospel in that great empire. Walking from the place where he was baptized to his home, a distance of several miles, Brother Meijer expressed a desire to converse upon different principles of the gospel, through an interpreter. That interpreter was Brother William Budge, afterwards president of Bear Lake Stake, and finally president of the Logan Temple. Brother Meijer, who understood no English, asked questions in German, and Brother Richards, who understood no German, answered them in English. Brother Budge interpreting the questions and answers. After a few questions had been asked and answered through the interpreter, Brother Richards said, Do not interpret those questions, I understand them. Then Brother Meijer said, Do not interpret those answers, I understand them. They conversed for miles, the questions in German, the answers in English. Neither man understanding the language of the other. They arrived at the river Elbe, and while crossing the bridge they were separated. When they reached the other side Brother Meiser asked another question, and Brother Richards said, Interpret it, Brother Budge. Said, Interpret it, Brother Budge. When the answer came, Brother Meiser said, Interpret it. His next question was, How was it, Apostle Richards? that we understood each other, and now we cannot understand? Brother Richards told him that one of the fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ was the gift of tongues and the interpretation. Then he said, God has given to you unto me this night a privilege of partaking of one of the fruits of the gospel by having the interpretation of tongues. Brother Misa, you have received a witness from God that you found the truth. Brother Misa told me, I trembled like a leaf, and I again raised my eyes to heaven and said, Oh, God, I have received the witness that I asked for, and I pledge to my life, if need be, for this cause. Every Latter-day Saint knows that Carl G. Misa did give his life. That he labored without ceasing, without any thought of personal advancement, personal honor or credit, but he labored untiringly for the advancement of God's kingdom at home and abroad, as a missionary in his native land, and at the head of our great educational system. In cases of emergency and necessity, God will intervene with the manifestation of his miraculous gifts and powers. As men pursue a course which pleases God, he can enable them in accomplishing his divine purposes. Early pioneers had great difficulties emigrating in the grand gathering of Israel. Poverty, persecution and prejudice were the common plight of the Mormons. Added to these was the difficult barrier of mixed languages. However, God who can move mountains, has also broken this barrier on many occasions. Again from the Lehona. The writer once heard from the lips of an experienced elder an account of an incident that occurred in New York City in the early years of the emigration of European saints to Utah, which confirms the views of President Smith. 
This elder was a very intellectual man, a natural orator of rare power, and possessed great faith. He was in charge of a company of saints, which had just landed in New York, and which included several different nationalities, who could not speak English, nor understand each other. It was of the utmost importance that the members of this company, which numbered, according to present memory, about 200 souls, receive certain instructions concerning their journey westward, but the elder in charge of them spoke no language other than English, and no interpreter was at hand. The circumstances were so urgent that he determined to call the company together and do his utmost to make them understand what he desired to say to them. He caused them to assemble around him and commenced to talk to them. In a few moments, to his great joy, he beheld in the faces of his auditors proof that they understood what he was saying to them. It was a great emergency. The elder bearing the responsibility of leading the company had an unspeakable desire to instruct and encourage them relative to the long and hard overland journey upon which they were about to start and the saints had also an intense anxiety to be instructed. When they gathered around their leader to listen to him, they were humble and eager to learn. The faith of speaker and hearers prevailed, the spirit of the Lord rested down upon all, and the saints of the different nationalities understood what the president of their company was saying to them, although he spoke in English. In narrating the incident to the present writer, the elder emphasized the fact that he knew he spoke in no other language than English while he was addressing the company. It follows that they must have had the gift of understanding a language that was new to them. It occurred in far distant South Africa, among the Boas. You have heard of the Boas. You will remember the strong defense they made in the Boer War against the English. And surely we must concede that they are an intrepid people, a people of courage and fortitude. And we believe that among them will be found the seed of Israel. Two young elders were laboring among the Boas. They came into a home where the wife could speak English, but the husband could not speak it. So these young men engaged in conversation with the wife. All at once the husband spoke up. He spoke in Dutch, and addressed his remarks to the elders, who were unacquainted with the language, and they both clearly understood what he said. And when they answered him in English, although he was not familiar with the English language, he understood them. But the remarkable thing about it was that when the Boer addressed the first elder in Dutch, the second elder could not understand him, but the first elder understood and when the Boer addressed the second elder and asked him a question, he understood him, but the first elder could not understand it. This was a very remarkable manifestation of the power of God in tongues, one of the signs that follow the preaching of the gospel. Roger Lawson, Conf. Rept. April 1909, 94-95. Lorenzo de Young, while on his mission, had experienced both the gift of speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Remarkably, they both occurred on the same occasion, 
I visited the town of Hector, where, by my preaching, as before stated, a Campbellite church had been organized. I preached in the same house that I had occupied on the previous occasion. Soon after I commenced to talk, such a spirit of darkness and opposition prevailed in the house, that for the first and only time in my life, I was entirely bound. I stood speechless. The congregation looked at me as if wondering what could be the matter. A sensation such as I had never felt before came over me. My tongue seemed no more paralyzed. In a short time I commenced to speak in an unknown tongue. I probably spoke about 15 minutes. Soon after ceasing to talk, the interpretation came clear and distinct to my mind. In a short time I commenced to speak in an unknown tongue. I probably spoke about 15 minutes. Soon after ceasing to talk, the interpretation came clear and distinct to my mind. I at once gave it to the congregation. I had not further difficulty. I talked about an hour. My old friend, Squire Chase arose and testified that what he had heard was the truth, and that the power of God had been made manifest. He and several others shed tears. Their hearts were softened by the influence of the Good Spirit. In a most unusual dream, an unknown tongue was spoken to Elder Joseph Orton. In this same dream he received the gift of interpretation which was a powerful and convincing influence for him to do God's will. 1870s, the United Order was sought to be established by President B. Young. An evening meeting was called to consider the matter and organize. Anxious to be in harmony with its spirit, yet not feeling its inspiration, on the evening previous to time set for its organization, kneeling in secret I made my wish known. I slept. Just before arising in the morning a voice was heard in a tongue unknown to me. Given apparently in poetry about the same as in common meter stanza. Asking for the interpretation of the tongue, it came instantly and ran thus, Without the United Order we cannot become one. Without the United Order, angels cannot hold communion with us as a people. The dead cannot be raised nor Jesus come to dwell with his people. I said, it is enough. I am prepared to give my name as a member of the United Order tonight. Other dreams received interpretation through the gift of tongues. Sunday. April the 12th, 1846, worked at the temple in the forenoon and in the afternoon attended the quorum meeting in the temple and dash the sacrament was administered and several dreams were told and the interpretations given in tongues wherein some of the principles of the resurrection were explained and much good instruction given. Benjamin Brown ridiculed the gift of tongues among the Mormon people and the devil gave him a similar power. After a visitation by two of the three Nephites, he was rebuked in the Nephite language. But he interpreted the language and repented of his sins.
I had experienced the Spirit of the Lord in a similar way elsewhere, so that when the elder of the church, at this meeting, urged upon me to yield obedience to the gospel they preached, which possessed such evidences as the manifestations of the ancient gifts, I treated the elders very lightly, and replied, that as for the gift of tongues, I could speak in tongues as well as any of them. So I could, for directly one of them manifested this gift, the gift of tongues rested upon me, and gave me the same power. Thus did the devil seek to blind me, and turn the testimony which the Lord had given me, for the truth, almost into an evidence against it. Here my mind half yielded to the belief which arose within me, that perhaps it might be true. Whereupon I took the book, and laid it before the Lord, and pleaded with him in prayer for a testimony whether it was true or false, and, as I found it stated that the three Nephites had power to show themselves to any person they might wish to, Jew or Gentile, I asked the Lord to allow me to see them for a witness and testimony of the truth of the Book of Mormon, and I covenanted with him, if he complied with my request, that I would preach it, even at the expense of my life, should it be necessary. The Lord heard my prayer, and, about five days afterwards, two of the three visited me in my bedroom. I did not see them come, but I found them there. One spoke to me for some time, and reproved me sharply on account of my behavior at the time when I first attended the meeting of the saints, and treated so lightly the gift of tongues. He told me never, as long as I lived, to do so again, for I had grieved the Spirit of the Lord, by whose power that gift had been given. This personage spoke in the Nephite language, but I understood, by the Spirit which accompanied him, every word as plainly as if he had spoken in English. I recognized the language to be the same as that in which I heard Father Fisher speak at the meeting. Such a rebuke, with such power, I never had in my life, before nor since, and never wished to have again. I was dumb before my rebuker, for I knew what he said was right and I felt deserving of it. How these men went, I do not know, but directly they were gone, the Spirit of the Lord said to me, now, you know for yourself. You have seen and heard. If you now fall away, there is no forgiveness for you. The gift of tongues may be given to some elder to speak the language of foreigners, so they may understand the message of the gospel. Again the foreigners may receive the gift of interpretation to understand an elder who speaks only his native tongue. Understand an elder who speaks only his native tongue. On other occasions someone may receive the gift of tongues and speak an unknown tongue and dash and then there must be someone who should receive the gift of interpretation. In all of these circumstances it is the conveyance of information which is the prime force behind the gift and dash it is not the manifestation or the power alone which should influence those who hear or see these gifts of God. Chapter 13 Evil Tongues
Interpretation of Tongues, Chapter 12 of Gift of Tongues, pages 117 to 131. We believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelations, visions, healing, interpretations of tongues, etc. Seventh Article of Faith. Closely associated with, but not, but distinctive from the gift of tongues is the gift of interpretation of tongues. This gift is essential when someone speaks in an unknown tongue. Wherefore, let him speak in an unknown tongue. Pray that he may interpret. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Be not so curious about tongues. Do not speak in tongues except there be an interpreter present. Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 248. Interpreting is the prime purpose for the speaking of a language. When someone cannot speak another person's tongue, either by the learning of that language or by the gift of tongues, it is possible for another to receive the gift of interpretation and thereby understand the alien language. One example of the gift of interpretation occurred when two Danes had just arrived in the Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake Valley from Denmark. They attended the Mormon conference with another Dane who could speak both English and Danish. When President Brigham Young had finished speaking, the two Danes were overjoyed at hearing Brigham Young speak. However, they were curious about his manner of speaking and asked the third Dane, why was Brigham Young speaking the Danish language? The two Danes could understand no English heard. The, the two Danes who could understand no English heard President Brigham Young speak in the Danish language. Therefore, they had received the interpretation of tongues. In this illustration of the gift of interpretation of tongues was given for a purpose. A spiritual message was conveyed through that gift for the benefit of the Danish men. Many holy rollers, Pentecostals, and similar spirited meetings claim the gift of tongues and the power of the Holy Ghost. However, in these manifestations, the interpretation of tongues or the communication of some intelligence is seldom displayed. And let me just say, I've been attending a Pentecostal church for five years now. Um... They're just, they're my favorite people, like in this area, well not this area, in Carbon County is where we attend church. Um, of course we attend other churches, I, I attend many churches, but this is one of the primary churches that I really love, and um, I've heard him speak in tongues many times. The pastor, the assistant pastors, members of the congregation, and I think I ruined the old pastor because I showed him in the in Acts how they were receiving the gift of hearing you know and that um, that there never has been an interpretation of the tongues that are given while I've been here and I told the new pastor I said I, I've spoken in tongues before but um, I hold my tongue because there is no interpreter, and there's supposed to be an interpreter when the gift of tongues is present. Anyway, but the old pastor, like, I noticed after that, for about a year before he left, 
he stopped speaking in tongues. Of course, there was more to my thoughts, and I was just sharing them with. I didn't mean to ruin him, but anyway, he's got his gift back, and he speaks somewhere else. <laughs> he moved to Colorado, which uh, really upsets me because I loved that man. I I loved his family. I loved him. Um, and he was a great pastor. And I believe he had a very pure heart, but I don't know. Anyway, continuing on, 10 or 15 persons can be seen lying and rolling across the floor while in a state of rambling, gibbering, or mumbling some unintelligible and uninspiring sounds. They garble displays or demonstrations and is not even closely associated with any language, much less the Spirit of God. The Prophet Joseph Smith instructed, One great evil is that when men are ignorant of the nature of the spirits, their powers, their power, laws, government, intelligence, etc., and imagine that there that when there is anything like power, revelation, or visions manifested, that it must be of God. Hence, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, and others frequently possess a spirit that will cause them to lie down, and during its operation, animation is frequently and entirely suspended. They consider it to be the power of God and a glorious manifestation from God, a manifestation of what? Is there any intelligence communicated? Are the curtains of heaven withdrawn? Or the purposes of God developed? Have they seen or conversed with an angel? Or have the the glories of futurity burst upon their view? No. But their body has been inanimate. The operation of their spirit is suspended and all the intelligence that can be obtained from them when they arise is a shout of glory or hallelujah or some incoherent expression, but they have have had the power. The shaker will whirl around on his seal, impelled by a supernatural agency or spirit, and think that this is governed by the Spirit of God. And the jumper will jump and enter into all kinds of extravagances. A primitive Methodist will shout under the influence of what spirit until he will rend the heavens with his cries, while the Quakers or the friends move as they moved as they think by the Spirit of God will sit still and say nothing. Is God the author of all of this? If not of all of it, which does he recognize? Surely such a heterogeneous mass of confusion never can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 203 and 204. And let me just say, um, so my observation about the people that I attend church with a lot is that when they are in the in praise and worship mode which I don't think they understand completely but according to what they understand is that they're they're basically praising God and they feel the spirit as they're praising God and as the spirit grows 
some of them will begin to speak in a, a babbling tongue, which means nothing. Um, it's interesting, uh, from my observations, not in just this Pentecostal church, but I have gone to churches all over North America, many, many, many different kinds of churches. And whenever I see these gifts, um, if I am able to go multiple times to a congregation, it's usually the same people that speak in tongues. And they have a, a lexicon or a... I don't know what you call it. Like, they have a group of sounds that they do all the time. And they call it the gift of tongues, but it's the same. But they don't know what it means. There's no intelligence conveyed. They don't get anything from it other than a heightened, um, a heightened sense of filling a spirit, which they believe is of God. You know, and like, so there has been some discernment that I have felt. A lot of the times there's no spirit there as far as I can tell. Sometimes there is, though. Sometimes it's a good spirit. Sometimes it's a bad spirit. But they don't have the discernment to know the difference. I'm just an observer as a witness. That's why I have been to so many different churches. Because part of my job not only to testify as a witness, is to be a witness, to see what is happening in person. Um, so anyway, but um, the church that I attend now, sometimes they speak in tongues. It doesn't happen as much now that the one pastor is gone. And it's kind of funny. We started going to that church shortly after the the pastor came, and he... His father is uh, over a, a large region of Pentecostal churches, but it was a non-denominational church. That's why we went there to begin with. But it turned out the pastor received his uh, his pastoral license from a Pentecostal source. And his dad was a Pentecostal, so we used to joke with them, like, this is not a non-denominational church. And they would say, well, it is, it's just that we're Pentecostals, but we welcome everybody. And I was like, whatever. Anyway, I like going here, so I'll keep going here, but it was, uh, it was funny. Anyway, my wife actually volunteered before she became a teacher for a couple years there. Uh, so they love her to death, and we love them too. So, And they know we're Mormons. <laughs> or, L well, we're not LDS. We're Mormons. We're going to be Mormons. Gordon B. Hinckley said it was okay to be a Mormon. He said it was a great blessing to be called a Mormon. So we're going to continue to be called Mormons. Uh, irregardless of, uh, or regardless, irregardless, uh, regardless of what the current hegemony has decided to, uh, to, to state whatever. Anyway, because it's interesting, like, from one president of the church to the next, the rules change according to what that president wants to do, and like, President Nelson contradicts President Hinckley and others, you know, like, 
you know, the church spends billions of dollars on the I Am a Mormon campaign, and then, you know, two presidents later, the word Mormon is, uh, you know, that's what the devil wants you to say. So I guess the devil was working with uh, Gordon B. Hinckley. Or, wait, maybe the devil's working with Nelson. But you can't say that because the current prophet will never lead you astray. Anyway, an excellent account of the gift of interpretations occurred in the ancient Book of Mormon times. In this setting, the people had suffered destruction of their cities and many people had been killed. The few remaining souls were in an attitude of prayer and humility. God heard their prayers and answered, quote, And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard, and it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that, it, that again they heard the voice and they understood it not. And again the third time, they did hear the voice and did open their ears to hear it and their eyes were towards the sound thereof and they and did look steadfastly towards heaven and whence from whence the sound came and behold the third time they did understand the voice which they heard and said and it said unto them behold my beloved son in whom i am well pleased in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. Third Nephi chapter 11, verses 3 through 7. You know, it's interesting. Joseph Smith taught that, that the authority to announce the Son comes from Adam, who was Michael, our father. So when the voice spoke and said, this is my beloved son, whether it was to Joseph Smith or to the Nephites or whoever. It was Adam who was speaking, who is your father in heaven. Of course, he has a father above him, who is Jehovah our Elohim, which I'm not going to get into that right now because people believe that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person and they are not the same person. Either chapter 3 proves that, as well as Moses chapter 1, uh, chapter 6 verse, I think it's chapter 6 verse 1 through 6, or chapter 1 verses 1 through 6. Anyway, it contradicts the revelation that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person. Uh, and I, ugh, I'm not, I don't like getting into this, but, because I get into it from time to time, but, Jesus tells Joe, uh, Jesus, tells Mohanre Moriankmer in Ether chapter 3, never at any time have I showed myself unto man. Meaning, that was the first time Jesus had showed himself. Jesus said that this was his spirit body and that he would come in the meridian of time and, and have a body. Okay, this is after the Tower of Babel was built. 
This is during the time when people started babbling in different languages and the Jaredites were spared. This is before they got on the barges and and took off, right? Jesus says, I've never appeared to anyone before this point. But Jehovah had appeared to many people before that point, including Abraham, who sat down with Jehovah, who had a resurrected body, and they had a meal of meat and dairy. Before the flood, Jehovah walked and talked with Enoch in his city, face to face. He appeared unto Methuselah and to Adam and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and appeared to many others. Now, what a lot of people don't understand in the modern church is that everywhere in the Hebrew, or in, in the King James Version of the Bible, which is the main Bible the LDS Church uses, where it says the Lord your God, in Hebrew it says Jehovah Elohim, or Jehovah your Elohim. Because Jehovah, or Jehovah, is your Elohim. He is your mighty one. He is a member of the council of the Elohim, and he is under the direction of God the Eternal Father. Jesus Christ had not yet become an Elohim. Jesus in the New Testament says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as my Father is perfect. After he went through the atonement and the resurrection, Garden of Gethsemane, all of that, when he appears to the Nephites, he says, Be therefore perfect, even as I and my Father are perfect. Because Jesus had to go through that ordinance to gain his exaltation. Which all men will have to do to gain their exaltation. To become a redeemer of a world. It doesn't just get given out because you have a temple recommended and you kept some rules. That's not how it works. Anyway, but... um. Jesus is on the path, or he actually is not on the path. We become his, he becomes our father through the law of adoption. And he will become a father of, when John saw the new heaven and the new earth, that new heaven and the new earth will be the earth that Jesus will ascend from a celestial glorified state into a garden on that earth and will take upon himself the name of Adam, who is Adam on men, God the Eternal Father. And just as Jehovah showed Michael how to create this earth, Michael will show Jesus how to create that earth. Because Michael will be an Elohim. Wherein he is the president of this earth. So there's a first presidency for each earth. Each earth includes God the creator who is the father for our earth that is Michael under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim. And Michael has two counselors. They are God the redeemer for this earth that's Yeshua who you would call Jesus Christ and God the witness who is the Ruach HaKodesh in Hebrew, or the Holy Ghost. That's what you would know him as. 
who comes in mortality. And the two witnesses, Jesus Christ is Messiah ben Judah and God the witness is Messiah ben Joseph, who when he comes in mortality, he'll be the Davidic servant. Or, well, when he was revealed who he was in 2013, he was revealed by the Father to be the Davidic servant. So, anyway. The interpretation of tongues was the most important manifestation and blessing given on the day of Pentecost at Shavuot. That's Greek. Pentecost is is a Greek word. In Hebrew, it's Shavuot. Anyway, it means the 50th day from Passover, and it's a commemoration day for the time when the children of Israel received the Ten Commandments, I believe. And this year, Shavuot is going to be, I think it's June 4th, the evening of June 4th to the evening of June 5th. In fact, Passover is coming up this week, week, or Pesach. So, uh, hey, if you're interested in uh, Passover, and you're anywhere near Lehigh, Utah, excuse me, there might be some tickets available for you to attend the Passover Seder that we're going to be attending in Lehigh this weekend, Saturday night to Sunday night. So, anyway, continuing on. Although there was some speaking in tongues, it was the interpretation of tongues that allowed the messages of the apostles to be understood by the nations and people who were there, while the grand sound of the of a rushing mighty wind and the appearing of cloven tongues of fire might indeed be miraculous power to behold, but they are not in and of themselves the means nor the methods used to convert souls to the gospel. Exhibitionism, signs, and miracles may persuade the unweary, but they only persuade men to believe in the power. They do not convert the man. It is the words of truth accompanied by the Holy Ghost that will change men's hearts and set the course in their souls. For this reason, all were filled with the Holy Ghost on that eventful day. The day of Pentecost is perhaps one of the most misunderstood and misconstrued biblical events in modern Christian thinking. It was not the miracles that day that were so important. It was not the miracles of the loaves and the fish, nor the miraculous healings and the ministry of the Savior which were the most important. It was the truths of the gospel which he taught. This is the labor and the desire of the ministry. And word and will, the word and will of God holds no second place in God's dealings with man. On the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, there were men from many nations assembled at Jerusalem. And the reason they were assembled at Jerusalem was because Shavuot was a holy day. It was the 50th day after Passover. Um... And it's observed by the Jews. That's where there are so many people from different countries. These were Jews coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot. 
These were devout men, devout men of every nation under heaven. There, there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Asians, and those from Fardphiria. I don't know. Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Crete, Arabia, and other proselytes. Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The apostles were teaching the gospel, and every man heard them speak in his own language. Acts chapter 2, verse 6. That's the, the passage that I shared with Kim, or with the pastor. Hold on. Anyway, that's the passage that I shared with that pastor in that Pentecostal church that, like, I shared a bunch of things with him from the Bible. I was like, it doesn't say that. Let's go back and read it in context, and then I would show him, and he would be like, wow, I never read it that way before. Like, for instance, one of the big ones was um, Joseph, the brother of Judah and the son of Jacob, was not sold by his brothers. They talked about selling him. Uh, they threw him in the pit, and then there was a group of people, Ishmaelites or somebody, any Midianites, I think it was the Ishmaelites, that they were talking to selling him, but then when they went back to the pit to get Joseph out to sell him, the Midianites had already stolen him. So he wasn't, he was not sold, he was stolen Anyway, but the pastor never realized that. He just read over it because, you know, he was told a certain thing. And, you know, when you're told a certain thing and that's the way you grow up, it could say a thing and then you just read over it because you already know. And then when you read it and you're like, read the words specifically, you're like, oh, I didn't realize he was stolen. Anyway, um, so we're on page 121 and I'm going to take a minute to see if uh, anybody has called in. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. So I'll check the, the phone lines and the um, the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon and see if anybody has anything to say and then we'll get into part two of this chapter. So we'll go to that point. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm here at the mine just waiting to go up the hill here. And my wife is trying to call. Hold on. Let me see what she wants. Can you hear me now? Hello? Yep, I hear you now. Yep. Okay, well, when you call me on the other phone when I'm trying to talk, and then I don't know how to merge it in because the phone is way different. I can't get back mm-hmm. into, you know, mm-hmm. the thing. So, um, all right, well, uh, you haven't been listening. You've been doing that class thing, right? Yep. Okay, I'm going to start the next portion of the program because you called right at the end of the last portion. And, okay. uh, yeah, it's crazy windy out here. 
But um, yeah, that's what I was wondering. How's it going? Like, are you blowing off the road? Because um, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, the weather channel said it was 55 mile an hour gusts, so I'm not going to worry about it till it gets up to 70. A couple okay. truck, trucks start flipping over, so hopefully it won't get up to that high. But uh, go ahead and call into the host line. I'm going to hang up on the host line so you can okay. call in to that, and then I will recall into the radio show, and I'll start part two. Um, for the listeners who are listening live, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And you can call in uh, during the recorded portion of the program and speak to me off the air in the call screening room. And then uh, if anybody wants to go on live, then you can wait till the end of the recorded portion of the program. But the next portion of the program is 53 minutes long. So we'll just go to that point, I guess. Hold on here. After a little, yep, that's it. Okay, let me see if I can get this to play. Here we go. At the General Conference of the British Mission held in Manchester, April, I'm sorry, May 5th, 1842, the gift of singing in tongues was given to Lorenzo Snow for the testimony of the restored gospel. Quote, at the conclusion of the spirited address, President Snow was blessed with the gift of tongues expressed in the singing of a beautiful sacred hymn. This miraculous manifestation of the Spirit thrilled the large congregation and was a striking testimony of the restoration of the ancient faith with its gifts and blessings following the baptized believers. Life of Lorenzo Snow by Thomas C. Romney, page 59. The power and influence of this gift has caused a deep and impressive feeling upon all who have heard it. Perhaps no other gift or medium of expressing the Holy Spirit could have so great an effect as this manifestation on the special occasion. Fall and winter, 1839, soon there was a small branch organized in the neighborhood where I resided, and presently he ordained me an elder, and at his request the saints there in our neighborhood chose myself to preside over them which office and appointment I received very reluctantly, for I felt my weakness. It was so great, I felt it was almost more than I could bear. But the Lord strengthened me. The Holy Ghost helped me, so that the burden was lightened and the task made easier. Now I realized and I saw the Spirit of God poured out upon the people. The reformation which I had so anxiously prayed for and received a testimony that I should soon see in my neighborhood for that was the kind of reformation that the Lord would get up that will count. The gospel in its purity preached by man or men having authority, people believing their testimony and yielding obedience by going down into the waters and being baptized for the remission of their sins and receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, which we did certainly receive. For some received the gift of tongues, and some prophesied. For I 
your humble servant did receive the gift of tongues, which I conveyed very, or covet very much, particularly the gift of singing in tongues, which I did receive in remarkable manner. We many times sang in our congregation, for the Lord did pour out his spirit abundantly upon me, not only in singing in tongues, for we have seen strong men sit and tremble like poppy leaves, to the great edification and comforting of the saints, not only that we should that not only that, but we've seen the sick killed in preaching the gospel, expanding the scriptures, and bearing our testimony and in prophesying as well as the healing of the sick and casting out devils and also a vision of visions and dreams and seeing also all which blessings we testify in the name of and the fear of God was poured out upon and enjoyed by the Latter-day Saints or Mormons in that neighborhood which proves proves to us without a shadow of a doubt the truth of God and his power attending his gospel and his servants on the earth. End quote. Joseph Lee Robinson Journal, pages 4 and 5. Joseph Lee Robinson enjoyed this gift for many for many years and recorded this unusual incident of singing in tongues later in his journal quote we rolled out from Pisaga by sick day we crossed Grand River I crawled off my wagon and saw with other others brother Balding which I saw at Kirtland and at the house of Oliver Granger I sang in tongues and brother Balding interpreted it I said to him, I am sick with og and fever, and I want you to lay hands on me and heal me. I sat in my or in a chair. He blessed me, and sure enough, I had no more of that. And quote Joseph Lee Robinson Journal, page 28. Elder Benjamin Brown had the gift of tongues given to him, but he refused to speak in them. The gift left him and was given to another who spoke and then sang in tongues. One Sunday morning while opening the meeting with prayer, the gift of tongues came upon me, but thinking of, brother, thinking of Paul's words, that it is sometimes wisdom not to speak in tongues unless one is pre- present who can interpret, and forgetting that a sister possessing the gift of interpretations was present, I quenched the spirit, and it left me. Immediately after, another brother spoke in tongues, and the interpretation of which was that the Lord knew we were anxious to learn of the affairs of our brethren in Missouri, and that if we would humble ourselves before him and ask, he would reveal unto us the desires of our hearts. Missouri was some thousands of miles from Portland, We according, accordingly bowed again in supplication before the Lord, and after rising from our knees and receding ourselves, the same brother broke out singing in tongues in a low, mournful strain. But judge our feelings, our feeling when the interpretation was given and was found to be some 13 or 14 verses of poetry descriptive of the affairs in Missouri and the murder of our brethren there, telling us that just at that time, 
our brethren lay bleeding on the ground, with their wives and children weeping around. We had so often proved the truth of similar communications that we felt it assured of the truth of this shocking news as though our eyes actually beheld the horrid sight. Our hearts were filled with sorrow. In a fortnight afterwards, we received a letter from John P. Green, a faithful member or elder of the church in Missouri, who was at that time, who was at the time he managed to write secreted in the woods. The letter detailed and confirmed all the events previously revealed in tongues, proving that on on the very day we had been informed of the transaction of a transactions occurring a thousand miles off the bleeding corpses of our brethren lay stretched on the ground after the slaughter it was either of or about this time that the massacre Hans Mill took place gems gems for the young folks pages 67 and 68 Another purpose of this unusual gift was to reveal incidents in history. One example pertained to the Nephites. Quote, a hymn concerning the travels, toils, troubles, and tribulations of the Nephites was sung in tongues by Elder W.W. Phelps, interpreted by Elder Lyman Wright. White, um, 1833, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 1, page 409. And we're at 88% of the reading for today. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And also there is a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, which is live Monday through, uh, well, Monday through Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., and then uh, I usually try to put some, a podcast out on Friday, but I don't go live on Friday, so I've got other things to do on Fridays. So anyway, uh, but I do try to put five episodes out per week. So on one occasion in Kirtland, a heavenly choir sang while Ziny Huntington received the interpretation. The Huntingtons embraced the fullness of the gospel at Watertown, New York, and Zena D. Huntington, when only 15 years old, was baptized by the patriarch Hiram Smith, August 1, 1835, and soon after went to Kirtland with her father's family. And this year she received the gift of tongues. On one occasion in the Kirtland Temple, she heard a whole visible choir of angels singing till the house seemed filled with the numberless numberless voices. At Kirtland, she received the gift of interpretation. LDS Biography Encyclopedia by Jensen, Volume 1, page 697. That's kind of cool that she... So we live really close to uh, Huntington, Utah. Um, here in Emory County, right in Castle Country, in the middle of the state, basically. And um, not that that matters. I just think it's interesting that, you know, this town was named after her and after others of the Huntington people. But um, 
I don't know. That's really cool that she heard a number, uh, like a numberless concourse of angels singing hymns. And it kind of goes along with what happened when I asked God if Joseph Smith was a true prophet. As I knelt there, the Holy Spirit entered into me like hot oil, which filled my whole soul. And I heard an innumerable concourse of angels singing praises to God. It was a very overwhelming, amazing experience. And I was completely healed of my drug addictions at the time. And um, because of that that amazing spiritual miracle and, and witness, I can't reject Joseph Smith. I don't believe he was a false or a fallen prophet. I believe he was a true prophet all the way up until the end. And that, um, but that there's a lot of lies about him in church history and uh, whitewashing by the Brighamite church. Um, and then just a lot of slander and libel towards him. And, uh, but I, I know by the same spirit that Jesus is my savior. And that God lives. And I cannot deny that. Even though I was an anti-Mormon Baptist, Southern Baptist before my conversion, even though I have studied church history and anti-Mormon literature to see, because I wanted to understand how to, how to, I didn't want to get blindsided for one, but I also wanted to understand how people were attacking the prophet so I could try to understand how to have an answer for their accusations, you know. And there's been things I've struggled with, but God has given me a revelation on how to overcome, you know, the things that I struggled with. And he's taught me, you know. And so, um, understanding the scriptures and knowing that Joseph was a true prophet and he was sent by our Father in heaven and our Savior, I can't reject that. And I'll talk about the principles of the gospel and the, the you know, prophecies of the latter days. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be part of a church which changes the gospel. I was just reading today how Joseph F. Smith put a plaque on all of the temples at that time which told people that the endowment or the, uh, the not the endowment, the uh, the garment was received by God and should not be changed or altered. It should be white and it should uh, you know have sleeves down to the wrist. And no one will be admitted into the temple unless they have the correct garment if they're going in to do a downer. Because people were trying to alter the garment at that time. And after he died, Heber J. Grant ordered that all of those plaques be taken down and burned. 
because he was going to do it his way without revelation. And, and Heber J. Grant actually stated in his lifetime, near the end of his life, that the heavens were as brass to him, as brass to him, and that he had not received any revelation from God. I don't know if he was trying to repent for all the crap that he did without revelation, but it's those kind of changes and all of the other changes in LDS history from from the Restoration until modern times that I have a problem with. If Jesus says that we'll be rejected as a church with our dead in DNC section 124 if we are not obedient to the things that he says, and we don't do what he says, and we make excuses as to why we're not going to do what he has told us to do, I see no other reason, uh, no other reason to stay in the church. Because the church is in apostasy, and the leaders of the church are prideful, and they are not going to change. There have been several things over the years that I have made a big deal about, and they just change the endowment. Or they change the gospel, or they say this, that, or the other to try to, like, walk away from what I'm telling them. You know, and they don't want to accept me because I'm the Lord's anointed. I actually knelt before the Father, and he did anoint me with his power and the fullness of the priesthood in 2003. You know, but Russell M. Nelson wants to say he's the Lord's anointed. Everybody should love and obey him. And I'm just like, no, you need to love and obey God and be obedient to what he has told you to do, not what some man like Heber J. Grant, who changes things, tells you to do. Joseph F. Smith should have excommunicated Heber J. Grant and Charles Penrose right off the bat. Charles Penrose is the one that wrote the manifesto. He admitted to it. It wasn't a revelation from God. It was a revelation from Charles Penrose, who proclaimed to be a prophet, seer, and revelator. He was one of the apostles. And uh, John Taylor would not sign it. Wilfred Woodruff eventually signed it. But these are wolves in sheep's clothing who proclaim to be something that they're not. Anyway, continuing on, we are at 94%. Once again, the guest calling number is 917-889-8827. What rapture must thrill the souls of those who hear the angels sing? The language and the music of heaven must be beyond expression. The choirs of heaven represent the ultimate in beauty and harmony of the gift of singing in tongues, which a few mortals have been privileged to experience. Perhaps we should look with great anticipation to the time when all shall know me, who remain even from the least unto the greatest, and shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and shall see eye to eye, and shall lift up their voice, and with the voice together sing this new song. Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verse 98. So, when we come back on Monday, we're going to be talking about the interpretation of tongues, which is uh, the title of chapter 12, which is on page 117. So, anyway, like I said, uh, if we have any callers, now would be the time to call in. Of course, you could have called in the whole time. I just 
would have taken you into the screening room if you had any questions or comments that you wanted to ask me privately. But uh, if you want to come on the program live, now would be the time to do it. So let me just see here. Um, I had an individual, he asks me all of these questions. And, like, you know, he's asking me on my Fundamentally Mormon podcast and radio show page on Facebook. And uh, he asked me, um, he asked me what is Kolob. Um, I heard about it before. And that was last night at 8.40 p. No, it wasn't at 8.40. Yeah, it was last night at like 8.40 at night. And then he like puts a question mark later on. Like he's waiting for me to tell him. Okay, I'm glad you're asking me these questions. But you have Google. I mean, you're, you are messaging me on an... Uh, on an app on a computer so you can get on the computer and you can look up what co-op is I why should I waste my time first of all I ran my card last night I like the only time I stopped was like a couple of minutes every round at the beginning of the load to get loaded and then at the end of the uh, of load to pull my gates and dump my coal on the ground or in the grizz. And then I ran. And I ran hard last night. And I didn't leave um, the yard until like 6 a.m. this morning. And then I, you know, I came home and I did some of this recording. And then um, I went to sleep around 8 a.m. And then uh, I woke up around 2.30 and had to deal with uh, the title company and trying to get the late, the rate locked in because it keeps going up and every time it goes up, I, I'm paying another $100 a month in my house payment, you know? And so, and then I was able to like start getting this recording and right now it's, it's actually 4.21 p.m. And now that I'm done with the recording, I'll upload this and then I'll go get ready for work and I'll go to work. So if you're asking me questions in Messenger that you can call in and ask or that you can find yourself, then you should do that because I don't really have time to spend all of this extra time trying to talk about all of these different things that you can look up on your uh, on your own or that you can call in and ask me about on the radio show. I mean, I make myself available Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. until we're finished, which is usually 7.30 or 8 p.m. And if nobody calls in and I'm done with the reading, then I'm just going to go. You know, you have the opportunity for eight hours a week to call and ask me questions. All of you do. I've made myself available for all of you. All seven billion of you or what what is it we're up to seven billion people on the earth now you know or 17 million members of the church if there really are almost 17 million members of the church and i don't believe those numbers by the way i believe they're inflated i believe it's about a third of that 
But uh, whatever, I am making myself available for eight hours a week to take your questions and your comments. And I don't mind your questions about things that you cannot easily look up. But to ask me what Kolob is, and you've heard of that before, the fact that you know how to spell Kolob tells me that you know what Kolob is. And if you don't know what Kolob is, Google it. Look up a Wikipedia. Go to the church app, lds.org. Look it up. Look to see in, in the book of Abraham, I think it's Abraham, where it talks about Kolob. I believe Kolob is the planet closest to the star where God lives. I think that's it. I might be getting it wrong, but, um, you know, it's been a little while since I've looked that up. You know, maybe I'm getting it a little wrong, but you can look it up too. I don't have time to do a whole lot of anything. I'm trying to work 60 to 70 hours a week, do uh, 10 hours, like just from what you see, 10 hours of, you know, of radio a week, basically, eight hours of live radio and two hours of podcast, but it takes it takes a lot longer than that every day and every, you know, it takes a lot longer that, than that every day to prepare these things. And then I've got a farm, a family, kids, a wife, and other things that I have to do, getting ready for work. You know, I've got all this other stuff. And so, like, if you're going to waste my time asking me a question about what Kolob is when you can take the time yourself to look it up, that kind of irritates me. And I have, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for all the questions you have asked, but you should be asking me these questions and listening for my response on these radio programs because I, I don't, my son built me a computer I have not sat down since he brought it home in December and ever used it. I don't have time. I use uh, an iPad and an iPhone and two Android devices to do these programs. And... Um, and I've, I have to... There's all these people that are always trying to get me to give them money... You know, or to pray for them, and I don't mind praying for them, but, uh, you know, tons of scammers, and people asking me questions that they can go look up themselves, and not only that, I've got like five or six pages on Facebook that I have to run, people messaging me there, um, and like groups on Facebook that I'm trying to admin, you know, and trying to go through all of the stuff that people are trying to post. You know, one of my groups has over 4,000 people in it, and people post. There was like 14,000 actions on the group in the last 60 days. That's comments and posts and likes, all of that. This is the gift of interpretation of tongues. So amazed were they at that they said are not all of these which speak Galileans and how we hear every man in our own tongue 
wherein we were born. Acts chapter 2, verses eight, or verse 8. Then again they remarked, We do hear them speak in our, our tongues the wonderful works of God. Each of the apostles that arose to speak did not speak in 15 or more languages. They spoke in their own Galilean, and all were filled with the Holy Ghost and received the gift of interpretations. Although many did, did speak in tongues, yet the masses all heard in their own tongue. And while Peter was speaking to these many nations, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which hear the word. And on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Gentile, um, Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 45. I just, I don't know, but like, okay, so there's Gentiles hanging around, probably Roman soldiers or merchants from other countries, and they're hearing the apostles speak, and everyone's hearing the apostles speak in their own language, but the, the apostles are just speaking the language that they know. So they're not speaking with this jibber-jabber, gift-of-tongues thing. They're just speaking, and people are hearing them speak in their own language, right? But then the gift of the Holy Ghost falls upon the Gentiles. Well, that's interesting, because, like, these Gentiles, how is the gift of the Holy Ghost falling upon the Gentiles if you have to receive baptism to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Just a question. Not sure what the answer is. I think it's just that the Holy Ghost was felt and experienced by everybody around the area, at least those who weren't hard apart. Anyway, this view was substantiated in the early church period article, the Liahona, quote, the gift of tongues. In the question box in our issue of July 6th appears this query, quote, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, did each man understand the one sermon in his own language, or did it require the separate sermon for each nationality? The answer is as follows. It required a sermon or part of a sermon in the tongue of each nation. Each man heard them speak in his, his own language. The multitude had not received that gift by the laying on of hands, Therefore, it is very improbable that they could have received the interpretation of an unknown tongue. Wow, way to put God in the box. <clears throat> this answer was written by an elder to whom the question was referred and, passed, and was passed by the editor without sufficient consideration. In a discourse delivered in Blackburn, England, September 2, 1906, President Joseph F. Smith made the following explanation of the wonderful occurrence that took place on the day of Pentecost. Quote, What is the gift of tongues for? Let me tell you, when the gift of tongues was very profitable, it was on the day of Pentecost, when the apostles of Christ stood up before the people who had assembled there from the lands round about, talking in a multitude of languages, and Peter stood up in the midst of them and declared Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead, the very Son of God and the Redeemer of the world. They all heard everyone in his own language. God gave them the gift of understanding, and they understood every man in his own language. 
The apostles spoke in their, their own Hebrew tongue with a, with a Galilean, dia, Galilean dialect. They did not talk a multitude of languages, but the ears and understanding of the multitude were open, and they heard the voice of the apostles and understood what they said. End quote, Lyahona Magazine, Volume 5, page 120. So the, the first one, the first statement, that guy didn't know what he was talking about. He supposed that God couldn't give a gift to people who had not yet been baptized and had the laying on of hands. But Joseph F. Smith understood that God gives his gifts to who he will, not, he, you can't put him in a box. So, anyway, the gift of interpretation may be acquired by the Spirit or by the natural method of learning a language. It is relayed that in one of the gatherings of the saints in Preston, that's Preston, England, I think, at this time, Alexander Nabor heard the gift of tongues exercised. He arose and interpreted the tongue, telling the congregation afterwards that he did not do this, by the gift of the Spirit, but naturally, as the former speaker had used the Hebrew tongue, which was, of course, the language of his birth. Utah Genealogy and History Magazine, uh, yeah, volume 5, page 500, or no, I'm sorry, page 55 through 67, that's where that story can be found. Many missionaries who have traversed the earth in search of the honest in heart have been witnesses to the interpretation of tongues. On some occasions, the missionary has received the gift, while in another instance, the people have been blessed with that peculiar gift of the Spirit. Sometimes this gift is given to the missionary first to aid him in speaking a foreign language. Elder George Cucannon testified to this, quote, my desire to learn to speak was very strong. It was present with me night and day, and never, I never permitted an opportunity of talking with the natives to pass without improving it. I also tried the, to exercise faith before the Lord to obtain the gift of talking and understanding the language. One evening, while sitting on the mats conversing with some neighbors who had dropped in, I felt an uncommon, uncommonly great desire to understand what they said. All at once, I felt a peculiar sensation in my ears. I jumped to my feet with my hands at the sides of my head and exclaimed to elders Bigler and Keeler, who sat at the table, that I believed I had received the gift of interpretation, and it was so. From that time forward, I had but little, if any, difficulty in under understanding what the people said. I might not be able at once to separate every word which they spoke from every other word in a sentence, but I could tell the general meaning of the whole. This was a great aid to me in learning to speak the language, and I felt very thankful for this gift from the Lord. I mention this that my reader may know how willing God is to bestow gifts upon his children. If they should be called to go as missionaries to a foreign nation, whose language they do not understand. It is their privilege to exercise faith for the gifts of speaking and interpreting the language, and also for every other gift which they may need. I've become so accustomed to talking in the Sandwich Islands, 
language, that, that Sandwich Island is Hawaii, by the way, that it was hard for me to speak in my mother tongue. I well remember how difficult it was for me to pray in English. When called upon to do so in the family circle the evening after I got to Lahaina, I had been so anxious to learn the language that I would not read any book in English except the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants, and had even trained myself to, to think in that language. I did this so that I might be thoroughly familiar with it before I, before I was anxious to preach the gospel and exceeding plainness into the people. So by the way, we're on page 20, 124 at 48%. Of course, it, it required an effort on my part to thus train myself, but I was paid for it all in the fluency with which I used the language. I was able to speak and write it and with greater ease and correctness than my mother tongue. And quote, my first mission by George Q. Cannon, page 47. The interpretation of tongues occurred with the conversation, or I'm sorry, with the conversion of Carl G. Mazur. As a spiritual and intellectual man, it was the gift of interpretations which was needed, which was the needed manifestation and witness for him, by which he knew that God had restored the, the gospel again on the earth. This is a more detailed account than the men than that mentioned in a previous chapter of this publication. Holy men and holy women have spoke with other tongues as the Spirit has given them utterance. One of our eight articles of faith reads, We believe in the gift of tongues and in the interpretation thereof. Carl G. Mazur, than whom no more devoted Latter-day Saint ever lived, told me with his own lips of such an incident as I took a trip with him to Baker City. I'm not sure where Baker City is, but I do know there's a Baker City in Oregon on the way to Portland. So maybe it's there. I don't know. He said, Brother Grant, I not... The night that I was baptized, I looked up into heaven and said, O oh God, I have found, as I believe, the gospel of thy son, Jesus Christ. I have rendered obedience to it by going down into the waters of baptism. Give me a manifestation. Give to me an absolute witness of the Spirit that I have found the truth, and I pledge to you, if necessary, my own life for the advancement of this cause. At that time, Brother Franklin D. Richards was president of the European Mission, which was headquartered at Liverpool. He went over to Germany to be present at the baptism of the first converts to the gospel in that great empire, walking from the place where he was baptized to his home at a distance of several miles. Brother Mazur expressed a desire to converse upon different principalities of the gospel through an interpreter, that the interpreter was Brother William Bulge. Afterwards, President, the president of the Bear Lake Stake and finally president of the Logan Temple, Brother Mazur, who understood no English, asked questions in German, and Brother Richards, who understood no German, answered them in English, Brother Bulge interpreting the questions and the answers. 
After a few questions had been asked and answered through the interpreter, Brother Richard said, do not interpreter, do not interpret those questions. I understand them. When Brother Mazur said, do not interpret those answers, I understand them. They conversed, conversed for miles, the questions in German, the answers in English, whether neither man understanding the language of the other. They arrived at the river, and while crossing the bridge, they were separated. When they reached the other side, Brother Mazer asked another question, and Brother Richard said, Interpret it, Brother Bulge. When the answer came, Brother Mazer said, Interpret it. His next question was, How was it, Apostle Richards, that we understood each other and now we cannot understand? Brother Richards told him that one of the fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ was the gift of tongues and the interpretation. Then he said, God has given to you and to me this night the privilege of partaking of one of the one of the fruits of the gospel by having the interpretation of tongues. Brother Mazur, you have received a witness from God that you have found the truth. Brother Mazur told me, I trembled like a leaf. And I again raised my eyes to heaven and said, Oh God, I have received the witness that I asked for, and I pledge to you my life, if need be, for this cause. Every Latter-day Saint knows that Carl G. Mazur did give his life, and that he labored throughout, cease, without ceasing, without any thought of personal advancement, personal honor or credit, but he labored untiringly, for the advancement of the of God's kingdom at home and abroad as a missionary in his native land and at the head of our great educational system. That was Heber J. Grant Conference Report, Volume 97, pages 16 and 17, and we are on page 126 at 65%. And the reason I'm reading fast today is because I have to go to work and my wife has to go to her class and I don't know if they're going to be able to get back to read this. So I'm just trying to get through it. That's Mondays for you. In cases of emergency and necessity, God will intervene with the manifestation of his miraculous gift and powers. As men pursue a course which pleases God, he can and will aid them in accomplishing his divine purposes. Early pioneers had great difficulties immigrating in the grand gathering of Israel. Poverty, persecution, and prejudice were the common plight of the Mormons. Added to these was the difficult barrier of mixing languages. However, God, who can move mountains, has also broken this barrier on many occasions. Again from the Liahona. Quote, the writer once heard from the lips of an experienced elder an account of an incident that occurred in New York City in the early years of the immigration of the European saints to Utah, which confirms the views of President Smith. This elder was a very intellectual man, a natural orator of rare power, and possessed great faith. He was in charge of a company of saints which had just landed in New York and which included several different nationalities who could not speak English nor understand each other. 
it was of the utmost importance that the members of this company, which numbered according to the present memory, about 200 souls received certain instructions concerning their journey westward. But the elder in charge of them spoke no language other than English, and no interpreter was at hand. The circumstances were so urgent that he determined to call the company together and do his utmost to make them understand what he desired to say to them. He caused them to assemble around him and commenced to talk to them. In a few moments, to his great joy, he beheld the faces of his auditors prove that they understood what he was saying to them. It was a great emergency. The elder bearing the responsibility of leading the company had an unspeakable desire to instruct and encourage them relative to the long and hard overland journey upon which they were about to start. And the saints had also an intense anxiety to be instructed. When they gathered around their leader to listen to him, they were humble and eager to learn. The faith of speakers and hearers prevailed, and the Spirit of the Lord rested down upon all, and the saints on the different nationalities understood what the president of their company was saying to them, although he spoke in English. In narrating the incident to the present writer, the elders emphasized the fact that they knew he spoke no other language than English, while he was addressing the company. It follows that they must have had the gift of understanding a language that was new to them. End quote, and that's found in the Liahona, volume 5, page 121. It occurred in far distant South Africa among the Boers, you have heard of the Boers. You will remember the strong defense they made in the Boer War against the English, and surely we must concede that they are the intemperate people, a people of courage and fortitude, and we believe that among them will be found the seed of Israel. Two young elders were laboring among the Boers. They came into a home where, they, where the wife could speak English, but the husband could not speak it. So these young men engaged in conversation with the wife. All at once the husband spoke up. He spoke in Dutch and addressed his remarks to the elders who were unacquainted with the language and they both clearly understood what he said. And when they answered him in English, although he was not familiar with the English language, he understood them. But the remarkable thing was about it was that when the Boers addressed the first elder in Dutch, the second elder could not understand him, but the first elder understood. And when the Boers addressed the second elder and asked him a question, he understood him, but the first elder could not understand it. This was a very remarkable manifestation of the power of God in tongues, one of the signs that followed the preaching of the gospel, end quote, um, which was stated by Rudger Clausen, Conference Report, April 1909, page 94 and 95. Page 128. Lorenzo D. Young, while on his mission, had experienced both the gift of speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Remarkably, 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 they both occurred on the same occasion. I visited the town of Hector, 
whereby my preaching was before stated, a Campbellite church had been organized. I preached in the same house that I had occupied on the previous occasion. Soon after I commenced to talk, talk, such a spirit of darkness and opposition prevailed in the house that for the first and only time in my life I, I was entirely bound. I stood speechless. The congregation looked at me as if wondering what could be the matter. A sensation such as I had never before came I had never felt before came over me. My tongue seemed numb and paralyzed. In a short time I commenced to speak in an unknown tongue and I probably spoke about fifteen minutes. Soon after ceasing to talk, the interpretation came clear and distinct in my mind. I at once gave it to the congregation. I had not further difficulty. I talked about an hour. My old friend, Squire Chase, arose and testified what he had heard was the truth and that the power of God had been made manifest. He and several others shed tears. Their hearts were softened by the, the influence of a good spirit. Lorenzo D. Young, 1832, mission um, to New York. Fragments of Experience, page 39. In a most unusual dream, an unknown tongue was spoken to Elder Joseph Orton. In this same dream, the re he received the gift of interpretation, which was a powerful and convincing influence for him to do God's will. 1870s, the United Order was sought to be established by President B. B. Young, Brigham Young, as or an evening meeting was called to consider the matter and organize, anxious to be in harmony with his spirit, yet not feeling its inspiration on the evening previous to time set for its organization. Kneeling in secret, I made my wish known. I slept. Just before arising in the morning, a voice was heard in a tongue unknown to me, or on page 29, or 129, given apparently in poetry about the same as in common meter stanza. Asking for the interpretation of the tongue, it came instantly and ran thus, Without the united order, we cannot become one. Without the united order, angels cannot hold communion with us as a people. The dead cannot be raised, nor Jesus come to dwell with his people. I said, it is enough. I am prepared to give my name as a member of the United Order tonight. And that's Autobiography of Joseph Orton, page 22. Other dreams received interpretation through the gift of tongues. Sunday, April 12, 1846, worked at the temple in the forenoon and in the afternoon attended the quorum meeting in the temple. The sacrament was administered and several dreams were told and the interpretations given in tongues, wherein some of the principles of the resurrection were explained and much good instruction given. End quote, and that's in Journal of Samuel W. Richards, Volume 1, page 18. Benjamin Brown ridiculed the gift of tongues among the Mormon people, and the devil gave him a, a similar power. After a visitation by two of the three Nephites, he was rebuked in the Nephite language 
but he interpreted the language and repented of his sin. Quote, I had experienced the Spirit of the Lord in a similar way elsewhere, so that when the elders of the church at this meeting argued upon me to yield obedience to the gospel they preached, with, which possessed such evidence as the manifestation of the ancient gifts, I treated the elders very lightly and replied, that as for the gift of tongues, I could speak in tongues as well as any of them, so I could. For directly one of them manifested this gift, and the gift of tongues rested upon me and gave me the same power. Page 130. Thus did the devil seek to bind me and turn that testimony which the Lord had given me for the truth almost into an evidence against it. Here my mind half yielded to the belief which rose, arose within me, and perhaps it might be true, whereupon I took the book and laid it before the Lord and pled with him in prayer for a testimony whether it was true or false. And as I found it stated that the three Nephites had power to show themselves to any person that they might wish to, Jew or Gentile, I asked the Lord to allow me to see them for a witness and testimony of the truth of the Book of Mormon, and I covenanted with him, if he complied with my request, that I would preach it, even at the expense of my own life, should it be necessary. The Lord heard my prayer, and about five days afterwards, two of the three visited me in my bedroom. I did not see them come but I found them there. One spoke to me for some time and reproved me sharply on account of my behavior at the time when I first attended the meeting of the saints and treated so lightly the gift of tongues. He told me never, as long as I lived, to do so again, for I had grieved the Spirit of the Lord by whose power the gift had been given. This person spoke in the Nephite language, but I understood by the Spirit which accompanied him, every word as plainly as if he had spoken in English. I recognize the language to be the same as that in which I heard Father Fisher speak at the meeting. Such a rebuke with such power I had never had in my life before nor since, and never wished to have it again. I was dumb before my rebuker. For I knew that he was right, and I, I felt deserving of it. How these men want, or how these men went, the, how these men went, I do not know, but directly they were gone, and the Spirit of the Lord said to me, Now you know for yourself, you have seen and heard, if you now fall away, there is no forgiveness for you. Benjamin Brown's Gems for the Young Folks, Folks, page 59. And that's the thing. If you've had a witness that the Book of Mormon is true, and Joseph Smith was a true prophet, and then you fall away after having received that witness, that is denial of the Holy Ghost. If you go to your death denying the things which God has made revealed to you, that is denial of the Holy Ghost, and there is no forgiveness for you. We're at 97%. I'm about done with this, and then i got to upload it and get to work because it's, uh, it's 530
show goes live at six. Anyway, but um, the guest call in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. The gift of tongues may be given for some elders to speak the language of foreigners so that they may understand the message of the gospel. Again, the foreigners may receive the gift of interpretation to understand an elder who speaks only his native tongue. On another occasion, someone may receive the gift of tongues and speak an unknown tongue, and then there must be someone who should receive the gift of interpretation. And that's what I said, you know, the reason why I don't get up in the Pentecostal meetings, because I believe that they can speak in the gift of tongues, and I felt the Spirit when they speak. But I'm not getting the interpretation, and nobody else is either, which I believe is wrong. That you, I don't know, I just... It's just an observation. Maybe I'm wrong, but anyway. In all of these circumstances, it is the conveyance of information which is the prime force behind the gift. It is not the manifestation or the power alone which should be the influence, which should influence those who to hear or see the gifts of God. So anyway, when we come back on tomorrow, we'll be on page 132, chapter 13, and we're going to talk about evil tongues or the gift of tongues from the adversary side so all right we'll open up the phone lines and uh, we'll go to that point thank you for listening okay so i screwed up and um, i put the uh the clip for chapter 11 part two instead of chapter 12 part two and that played for i don't know 20 30 minutes and then I realized, oh, wait a minute, this is not the right clip. Can't do anything about it. It's live radio. Can't edit it. Can't do nothing about it. So anyway, so we should have ended a while ago, but there's nobody in the call screening room anyway. So um, Kim's on the other line, but she had maybe chicken patch today in her classroom because we have an incubator. We have probably about 30 chickens at the ranch or the house or the farm or whatever we want to call it. So she's uh, she's checking on the baby chickens. We just uh, I'm gonna mute her line just in case she's there, but I don't know if she is or not. Uh, I told her not to take the phone into the classroom because I didn't want to break it up. Because if the host line breaks up, then the whole thing shuts down. So the unmuting Kim. Okay, she's unmuted. Are you there, Kim? I kind of wanted to know how many chickens had hatched by now. I, she said there was like 10 that were hatching, and there were two that had already completely hatched, and those baby chickens were like huddling up with each other. So uh, I think there'll be Bard Rock and Red Island Roost, uh, well, Red Island. No, Rhode Island. Anyway, I don't know. She's into all that stuff. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's chicken. <laughs> so uh, we've got a bunch of different kinds. Uh, log, log horns, lake horns, I guess. Uh, Red Island, Rhode Island Reds, Bard Rock, Silkies. And anyway... 
So anyway, we got three different chicken coops with the different ages of chickens that we have. So anyway, um, sorry about screwing up on that. Uh, if you're still listening, thanks for listening. And uh, I post all of these, if you're listening on iTunes, on Facebook. So not only does the link, uh, is there a link in the description of the iTunes and the Blog Talk Radio to go to read the text on its own of this chapter, this book, and this, uh, and these other books, uh, books on the restoration theology. Um, I posted the full chapter at LDS Last Day's Prophecy and Gospel Discussions and a bunch of other places and all my pages. So, anyway, um, I hope that you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we're going to be getting into Chapter 13, The Gift of Evil Tongue, which is basically where a demonic spirit uh, takes you over and you get a gift, but it's not from, you know, it's, it's basically Satan trying to say, I can do this too. So anyway, uh, I guess we'll just uh, end at this point, and I'll try to be back on tomorrow with another episode of Fundamentally Mormon, Science Redemption Radio Network. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good night. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Thank you.